This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Panic at Metro Town Mall. Mr. Crossville, please. Uh, the police incident that emptied the shopping center and shut down SkyTrain. Expanding school safety. We have listened to parents, teachers, and others in our school communities. The new province-wide mask mandate in classrooms. And the king of kindness who reigned at Vancouver City Hall. He had an empathy and a grace. The groundbreaking legacy of former Mayor Philip Owen. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We start tonight with the latest on breaking news in Burnaby, where a police incident prompted the evacuation of Metrotown Mall. RCMP received reports of shots fired and the possibility of a pipe bomb nearby. Neither of those have been confirmed still. Jordan Armstrong is live near the scene for us. Jordan, it's been a chaotic afternoon there, but it's starting to settle down now, we understand. That's exactly right, Chris. In the last few minutes, much of the police tape has come down and many of the police officers have left the area of Metro Town. As you mentioned, certainly a chaotic afternoon. Shoppers had no idea what was going on at 2.40 in the afternoon. Uh, they were just told to get out. They were told to evacuate, stop what they were doing and leave the mall. And as they were leaving the mall, many of them encountered heavily armed police rushing in. Everybody to the sidewalk! Burnaby RCMP say they received unconfirmed reports of shots fired in the mall around the same time transit police closed and evacuated Metrotown SkyTrain station amid an unconfirmed report of a pipe bomb. The police canine unit has since determined there was no pipe bomb. Trains are running through but not stopping at Metrotown station. RCMP say officers have been doing a very careful grid search of Metrotown Mall say they have not been able to substantiate those reports of shots fired. Nobody's been hurt, but as you can imagine, it was a scary afternoon for a lot of people. And the cops was like, you guys have to leave. And it was a lot of kids. It was so scary, to be honest. It was really scary, though. Like, uh, in all my years working here, I've never had this issue before. Obviously something, but they're not revealing what. So, Jordan, what do we know about how RCMP originally became aware of the situation there? Very good question, Chris. And at this hour, we don't have an answer. Was it a phone call? Was it something online? Was it perhaps a written note? No word from police how they were first alerted to this situation at Metrotown. Uh, of course, very early on, the social media rumor mill went into overdrive. But just to reiterate, at this hour, police are telling us they have nothing to substantiate any sort of active threat and no injuries here at Metrotown. Chris? Very unusual. Thanks very much, Jordan. That's Jordan Armstrong reporting in Burnaby tonight. Well, starting Monday, masks will be mandatory for students and staff in all schools from kindergarten to grade 12. The expanded order comes as health officials see a spike in cases, clusters and outbreaks in schools. Richard Zussman is live with the latest on a move some say comes too late. Richard. 
Yeah, Sophie, the province has been facing significant criticism about face masks, and now the change is on the way. So come Monday, everyone in the school system will require one of these in their knapsack to be worn anytime they're in school. An about face on what kids put on their face. This additional measure we are putting in place today is one more layer that will ensure we can continue to engage and support children through this ever-changing pandemic. Up until now, all adults and kids grade 4 to 12 have been required to wear masks at schools. Starting Monday, that changes. Now everyone in the school system, K to 12, will be required to wear masks, including at their desks. Our school teams are committed to ensuring we are taking all necessary measures to ensure schools can continue to provide that all-important in-school learning for children in BC. This is in part why cases have continued to climb in children, especially those in the school system not yet eligible for vaccine. But beyond the science, it has been public pressure. Burnaby, Surrey, Vancouver, all deciding this week they would put in a K-12 mask mandate alone without the province's backing. It's really disappointing that those those school boards had to do that. There should have been a K-12 mask mandate in place at the beginning of the school year. To be honest, we would have been, we've had so much more kids protected, so many more parents, so many more community members not get COVID had we had this mandate from day one. More comprehensive mask mandate was one thing advocates were calling for, but there's more. On Friday, California announced plans to mandate vaccines for all eligible in the education system. BC leaving it in the hands of employers to decide what to do and won't implement one yet. So my responsibility under public health orders is to look at those highest risk environments that are in the health system. So that's what I'm focusing on. The province will also be improving reporting on cases in schools, promising a monthly education system report. But it doesn't address other concerns of parents that include school exposures that are not specific enough or cover all COVID cases. Sometimes uh, parents will know and they'll know uh, the, the information from other parents prior to public health getting um, all of the pieces connected together. They're downloading a huge responsibility onto staff, onto parents, onto administrators. All right, Richard, what happens next if this expanded mask mandate doesn't reduce transmission in schools? So, Sophie, the province will be producing these reports every month. The first one is expected in the middle of October. What they have ruled out for now is going back to the cohort system. They have also ruled out many virtual options. And a lot of the hope from the province is around the accessibility of vaccine. They are hoping it will be available for children under the age of 12 by the end of the year. That will alleviate some of the pressure, but there obviously will be a lot of nervousness around the system as kids continue to go uh, to the schools, even with masks on, unvaccinated. This policy, the mask policy, will be in place for sure until the end of this year, Sophie. All right, thanks for that. Richard Zussman reporting live for us. Until then, another day of double-digit deaths in BC's COVID-19 fight. We have 714 new cases, more than 6,300 active cases in BC, 328 people are in hospital and 138 of those patients are in the ICU. We have 11 more deaths due to complications of the virus and 81.1% of eligible British Columbians 
are now fully vaccinated. Keith Baldry joins us now with a closer look at some of those ICU numbers and mm -hmm. how they break down, Keith, when it comes to vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Yeah, also by age. Very interesting. These statistics continue to show we largely have a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Thankfully, the ICU numbers are down a bit. We're still 138 people, many of them on ventilators. Here's how they break down in terms of vaccinations and uh, age groups. Right now, about 85 percent of the people in ICU are unvaccinated. You can see there there's a child between the age of five and nine is in the ICU. One person in their 20s is in the ICU. 17 and again, both unva unvaccinated. 17 people in their 30s are unvaccinated in the ICU, 17 in their 40s, 34 people unvaccinated in their 50s. And you see the numbers for the 60s. And interestingly enough, that number on the right there, that's the partial or, do or double dose vaccination number. So it's people over the age of 70 with double doses who are in the ICU. They're likely to have underlying health conditions uh, given their age. But again, really, we're seeing a, on a daily basis, 85 to 90 percent of the people in ICU are unvaccinated vaccinated people. On a regional basis, there's a drop in the number of people in ICU in the north down to 11. That's a bit of a mirage, though. So what's happened there? If you test positive for COVID-19 in your health authority, that's where you're counted as, as the case number. If you're in ICU, you're counted where which health authority you're in. 25 people have been airlifted out of the Northern Health Authority into other health authorities in the ICU because there's not enough resources there on hand in north to deal with a surge in COVID-19. All right, Keith, thanks very much. All right. Well, since the pandemic began, he has become a household name for many B.C. families and global viewers. Now Surrey School Superintendent Jordan Tinney is retiring. After nine years in the district, the last seven as superintendent, Tinney announced his retirement this morning. Tinney has gained a province-wide profile for his ability to provide clarity on the sometimes confusing COVID school guidelines. Tinney says he will stay on as superintendent until a replacement is chosen. The start of the ski season is still weeks away, but there's already concern about the rule for riding some of the lifts at the province's biggest resort, Whistler Blackcomb. Right now, people will need to show their vaccine passports and government ID to eat at any of the on-hill restaurants, but they won't need to do that to board the mountain's gondolas or chairlifts. Andrea McPherson reports. I would prefer that everyone, you know, in a tight and close space is vaccinated. Those sentiments being echoed by more than 2,100 people who have signed an online petition in favor of vaccine proof on enclosed gondolas at Whistler Blackcomb. If we were all on chairlifts, I, I don't think it would that be huge of a deal. But, you know, for I'd say 90% of our upload for the resort is all on very, very tight uh, gondolas. Right now, mandatory masking's in place, and the resort's website says Whistler Blackcomb is asking guests to only ride with travelers in their party. It says single guests will also not be asked to pair up with others. These health and safety protocols are in line with current COVID-19 provincial health orders. The risk is less when you're outside, we know that, in smaller groups, and when you're wearing uh, masks and goggles, etc. So... Uh, for a short period of time on a gondola, you know, the risk is probably not the same as if you're sitting down inside without a mask on um, having a drink with a group of people. It's a similar scene for other operators as Grouse Mountain and the Sea to Sky Gondola are also ensuring guests are mandatory masking and traveling within their bubble. However, some Whistler petition supporters say they're concerned about bubble breakers, possibly putting others at risk, prioritizing convenience over safety technologies there um, 
Uh, staffing isn't there, so I think that uh, to make things simple and to make things fair, we should make sure that everybody who comes skiing at all the ski resorts all over British Columbia uh, have a vaccine passport. The petition proclaims proof of vaccination to access the mountain is not only good for public safety, but also good for business. You know, if you want to enjoy the recreational part of uh, getting back to normal, then I think there's things that uh, we have to do. It's a social responsibility. As of now, Whistler's parent company, Vail Resorts, is only requiring vaccine passports for people entering any of the on-mountain restaurants and lodges. Andrea McPherson, Global News. A decision by the Prime Minister is making waves in politics. Justin Trudeau's escape to the beach in Tofino on the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation isn't sitting well with some who say the timing is a slap in the face. The fallout next on the News Hour. A happy homecoming for the crew of HMCS Harry DeWolf. The epic journey this ship and crew just completed through the Canadian Arctic. Coming up on the News Hour. And the problems pile up for disgraced Canadian fashion mogul Peter Nygaard. That's later. Right now, though, Justin Trudeau's decision to take a break on the beach in Tofino on the first ever National Day of Truth and Reconciliation is not going over very well. Indigenous leaders expected the Prime Minister to be with them yesterday, showing respect for the meaning of the moment. And now, as Amadagahi reports, they're demanding an apology from the PM. Well, I think he has broken again uh, some of the trust that Indigenous people have. Shock and disappointment from Indigenous leaders across Canada. Reconciliation uh, means taking action. In June 2017, a statement from then first-term Prime Minister Justin Trudeau read, no relationship is more important to Canada than the relationship with Indigenous peoples. Now it appears a decision not to delay a family vacation by one day or even a few hours they invited you. has put serious strain on what may have already been a fragile relationship. You know, it represents a slap in the face to families of residential school uh, uh, victims. On Thursday, while Canadians from coast to coast, many times painfully... I have a lot of friends who died. <laughs> <laughs> in those schools. Commemorated this country's first National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, the Prime Minister was noticeably absent from all ceremonies, including a gathering hosted by the Tukamloops to Shrupmik near the site of the former Kamloops Indian Residential School and the recent discovery of 215 children in unmarked graves. I did hold out on hope that maybe that he would be here. We have sent him two invitations. This is not a holiday. This was a commemoration day. Trudeau did attend a reconciliation ceremony in Ottawa the night before. And Thursday, he told Canadians he spent some time on the phone with residential school survivors. You know, I don't believe that. I believe he went to uh, Tofino. He was uh, observed walking on the beach. No, I don't think he was making phone calls at all. So what will be the impact on the Prime Minister and his future with the federal Liberal Party? Well, according to some political observers, that image of Justin Trudeau on a BC beach yesterday may signal the beginning to an end of a political career. This was the clearest indication possible 
that Mr. Trudeau does not plan to run for re-election. We are going to ask the Prime Minister to make a formal apology and to do something to make this right. Also on Thursday, roughly 100 people attended a ceremony hosted by the Tulakwit First Nation in Tofino. It started just an eight-minute drive away from where Justin Trudeau was captured on camera walking on the beach. Emadagahi, Global News. A campaign benefiting indigenous organizations has now skyrocketed shortly after a Vancouver man decided to donate one day's pay on yesterday's National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Joshua Hensman decided to donate a day's earnings after feeling conflicted over receiving pay for the new national holiday. His campaign took off immediately, raising more than $45,000. And then when the story aired on Global News, it took off. The momentum picked up and Hensman has collected more than $400,000. He's going to keep the fundraiser open until mid-October, hoping to hit the half-million-dollar mark. Just ahead, tributes pour in for former Vancouver Mayor Philip Owen. I think as a man, he had an empathy and a grace. His impact on the city he loved, next. And searching for some heroes, why Central Okanagan's search and rescue is looking for more good women and men. Another three-car crash, this time at the Alex Fraser Bridge, northbound at the south end in the left lane with crews on scene. Connect Hearing is Canada's number one physician-referred hearing health care provider. Your hearing is important. Take care of it. Visit connecthearing.ca to book your hearing evaluation today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. A woman has been issued a big-time fine for feeding and deliberately attracting bears to her property in Whistler. Zuzana Stevikova has been fined $60,000 for feeding black bears. The Conservation Officer Service launched an investigation in July of 2018 after a complaint in the Cadenwood area. Every week, Stevikova would buy 10 cases of apples, 20 kilograms of carrots, and up to 15 dozen eggs and leave them out for the bears. The animals lost their fear of humans and three of them had to be put down. The fine is the largest penalty ever imposed under BC's Wildlife Act. Central Okanagan Search and Rescue has shattered call-out records from 2020, making this year the busiest season in Kozar history. As Global's Yasmin Gandam reports, the organization is now looking for more people to join the team. It's been a busy summer for the Central Okanagan Search and Rescue. The difficult wildfire season, coupled with the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, has led to a lot of added work for COSAR. And the pressure is now starting to take its toll on volunteers. Between helping our regional district, uh, people up in Vernon and the people down in Osoyoos and Penticton, um, we've been going wide open all year. Last year was the busiest year in COSAR history, but that record has now been broken. Two calls last night were the 85th and 86th tasks for COSAR, marking the busiest year in its 67-year history. The nonprofit organization currently has 50 members signed up, but only half of those are active on the actual rescue front, so more people are needed to help out. We're hoping to have an intake of 15 members. Um, History has shown us that usually about 10 of them will stick around for a year and then another five the second year. So we're hoping to get at least a three-year commitment from these people. 
Hensel says COSAR, which is an all-volunteer-driven organization, accepts people from all different backgrounds and skill levels. We are all part of a team and we all bring something special to this organization. So we're not looking for the Bear grills type people. Um, if you're an ATVer and you know the trails, that's a huge asset. If you have a first aid background, that's an asset. You're a snowmobile or a mountain biker and you know the trails, you know the Okanagan, uh, and you have the time to dedicate because this eats a lot of spare time. COSAR will also be holding an open house in mid-October, but if you are interested in applying, visit their website at COSAR.ca for application info. Yasmin Gandam, Global News. Well, today will be your last weekday to hike the grouse grind for a little while as Metro Vancouver announces Monday to Friday closures on the popular trail. Those closures will remain in effect for the next five weeks so the trail can undergo much-needed upgrades. If conditions allow, the grind will be open on Saturdays and Sundays and on Thanksgiving Day. The closure coincides with annual fall maintenance at the Grouse Mountain Resort, which will mean no access to the Skyride or other facilities. Anyone hiking up the adjacent BCMC trail will have to hike back down themselves. Three-term Vancouver Mayor Philip Owen has died. Owen held the job from 1993 to 2002, making him one of the longest-serving mayors in city history. And while he was in charge during a period of unprecedented growth, Owen is best known for championing the four pillars approach to reforming drug policy. Catherine Urquhart has a look back at Owen's life and legacy. Number one. He was mayor of Vancouver for nine years. Philip Owen held that position from 1993 through 2002 after being elected three times. Before that, he was a councillor and park board commissioner. He had an empathy and a grace that made him able to talk with and hear people, whether it was from the downtown east side or Shaughnessy. I'd just like to say it's been a, an interesting journey we've been on the last uh, three years. Owen was perhaps best known as a champion of the Four Pillars drug strategy, which emphasizes prevention, treatment, enforcement, and harm reduction. That family really helped me when I was in a lot of trouble, you know, physically and mentally. Um, they helped me, you know. Uh, he came down on a Christmas morning to buy me a coffee and to give me a couple of dollars. Like, who, who would do that with some junkie down here? The mayor did. Thursday night, the 88-year-old died from complications related to Parkinson's disease. Current Mayor Kennedy Stewart released a statement saying in part, A gentle and decent man, Philip Owen's time as mayor, will be remembered for his courage and foresight. His work on the Four Pillars approach led to the establishment of North America's first supervised injection site and helped save thousands of lives. He's one of these rare politicians that got into politics for the right reasons. He really wanted to give back. He really wanted to make, be make it better, but make it better for everyone. Our father was a fair-minded man. As a father, as a leader, um, he didn't believe in shortcuts. He did believe in collaboration and due process. He treated political foe and political friend with exactly the same manner. And that's an era that has long since passed. The Owen children say their dad cherished his years as mayor and truly loved his city. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. He did so much for this city. He sure did. Coming up next rescuing food. 
It is good, fresh surplus food. A different kind of grocery store where you pay what you feel. Also tonight, desperate measures to protect the unhoused from COVID. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Two lanes both ways over here at the Massey Tunnel, and traffic is moving well on Highway 99, which is some minor congestion on the Steveston on and off ramps on the Richmond side. Want to be the ultimate content creator? Talk with expert photographers and creators at your local Henry's about the best gear for streaming, podcasting, and video content. Visit henrys.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Police in Surrey are issuing a warning after dozens of people looking for love online lost their wealth to larceny. Between January and August of this year, Surrey RCMP received 29 reports of online romance scams with losses of more than $1.3 million. During the same period, 213 victims across the Lower Mainland were built to more than $22.4 million. And with more people going online to seek relationships, police are reminding the public never to send money to strangers. Fashion mogul Peter Nygaard was back in a Winnipeg courtroom today as the process moves forward to have him extradited to the United States where he faces charges of sex trafficking and racketeering. On the same day, Toronto police issued charges and secured an arrest warrant for a variety of new sexual assault allegations. Global's Catherine Ward has more. In charge. Um, so your consent committal. As far as court appearances go, this one for disgraced fashion mogul Peter Nygaard was relatively short, as Nygaard agreed to have his extradition process move ahead. So you understand the significance of this document that you signed, Mr. Nygaard? <clears throat> yes, I do. All right. U.S. authorities allege the now 80-year-old used his influence to lure women and girls while promising modeling contracts and other financial opportunities. Jennifer Gilmer, a Nygaard accuser, Watch the proceedings from outside Seattle, Washington. You know, I see a weak, frail old man um, who is also a monster. I just want him to be convicted for his crimes and to pay for them. The extradition process has several steps, and it's not over. Today's proceedings will not result in Mr. Nygaard's immediate extradition. The Minister of Justice still will have to make the ultimate decision on surrender. His consent to committal today does not prevent him from raising a challenge to the United States' case against him at some future date. In Toronto, new charges were laid against Nygaard this morning, including sexual assault allegations dating between 1987 and 2006. The police statement says an arrest warrant has been secured and that upon arrest, Nygaard will be charged with six counts of sexual assault and three counts of forcible confinement. The matter will now go to a newly appointed federal justice minister. They will have the ability to decide if the new Canadian charges will take precedence and when the extradition would happen after waiting the mandatory 30 days. It will be interesting to see how these two justice systems can work together. I certainly have the hope and I have the expectation on behalf of my survivors that they will work together uh, so that Nygaard can face, uh, can face trial in both countries. His lawyers say Nygaard is looking 
forward to clearing his name. His uh, hope and, and ours is that he'll be vindicated. In the meantime, Nygaard has the right to appeal the order and also to apply for interim release. None of the allegations has been proven in court. Catherine Ward, Global News. In health matters, with COVID-19 cases spiking among the homeless on Vancouver Island, the B.C. government is teaming up with the city of Victoria and Island Health to create new spaces where underhoused people with COVID-19 can self-isolate. As Kylie Stan reports, it comes as health officials there battle high levels of vaccine hesitancy. Over the past 20 months, keeping the most vulnerable populations safe has meant moving them inside, bed by bed, person by person. A critical response that's helped to keep COVID-19 from spreading through encampments, at least until now. As the pandemic continues, we are faced with the very real prospect again of not being able to provide supported shelter for everyone who is COVID positive and living outside in Victoria. The situation is forcing the provincial government to take urgent action, teaming up with the city of Victoria and Island Health to fill the gap by creating new spaces where underhoused people can self-isolate. We're really grateful to open 50 new self-isolation spaces for people who are COVID positive and living on the streets. 30 beds will be set up in already established shelters with 20 more in a pop-up space expected to open in early November. The spots will be for those who test positive and may need medical support during their recovery but don't require hospitalization. And while the effort is appreciated... I think it's great to see everybody responding. There's concern not everyone will be open to following the rules. You know, I mean, sometimes we struggle to convince someone to not go into the kitchen with bare feet, you know. Um, and so that's always a challenge. Are we looking at a perfect solution? No, but again, we'll try to accommodate them as best as we can. Island Health estimates there are roughly 300 individuals identified as COVID positive in this cluster. And that includes not only those with no fixed address, but also visitors, staff and residents in temporary housing. Over the past month, with 3,500 cases in the health authority, it accounts for just a small percentage. But the real concern lies with the vaccination rate, currently only 30%. As of today, um, we're emulating what Vancouver Coastal did and uh, we'll be offering an incentive program um, to increase those rates. $5 cash was offered to the homeless population there, with every dose administered better protecting the community. At this point, whether it's incentives or beds, pulling out all the stops may be the only way to stop the spread. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Vancouver's first rescued food market is now open in the Olympic Village. The Food Stash Foundation's Zero Waste Grocery Store is stocked with surplus perishable food that farms, grocers and wholesalers would otherwise be throwing away. It operates on a pay-what-you-feel model with shoppers choosing how much they want to donate. The space is open to everyone regardless of income. The goal is to educate the public about food waste and reclaim the value of food. The rescued food market will be open every Friday from 3.30 p.m. to 6 p.m. in the 300 block of West 2nd Avenue. Coming up, taking the shortcut from Halifax. There's a lot of interest up in the Arctic. A warm BC welcome for HMCS Harry DeWolf and crew protecting Canada's Arctic sovereignty. And in sports, show me the money, the fat new contracts for, contracts for Canucks stars 
Patterson and Hughes. Well, if you are heading out of the lower mainland and into some higher terrain, you'll need approved winter tires. Snow season isn't far off in our mountain passes, at least. So starting today until the end of March, your tires must have the M and S designation for mud and snow or the mountain and snowflake symbols. Uh, provincial regulations cover most provincial highways, including those in the north, interior, the Sea to Sky, the Malahat and other highways on the island that pass over high elevation. They also need to have three and a half millimeters of tread. Anyone caught breaking those rules is subject to a $121 fine. Also, peace of mind. Yeah, that's right. Tire shortage out there we keep hearing about too, so make the call now, even if you don't get them put on this weekend. Yvonne is here with a look at the forecast. I uh, don't know if there's any snow in it. Let's hope not for the weekend. No, we are looking at a great start to our weekend. Bit of a blip, and we will be tracking a chance for some showers. The timeline in just a moment, but we do have some cloud cover out there as we overlook English Bay. It was a soaker yesterday, and to round off some of the numbers, we were at the third wettest September on record, the highest one being 169 millimeters, and that was back in 2004. So it's been a wet September, and we're starting off October with a dry day today, but an act, a big weather wet maker rather is along the northern and central half of the province. Very wet and windy this evening and the rain will continue especially in towards the beginning of the weekend and we're continuing to see that across the southern half of the province and the instability for us is going to push in tomorrow night and then for our Sunday morning with the chance of showers. The following warnings are in effect. The rainfall inland for the northern half up to 50 millimeters by tomorrow morning and the winds strong southeasterly 90 and potentially up to 120 kilometers per hour. Haida Gwaii and all areas along the northern half of the province for coastal areas will be looking at very windy conditions and then easing off overnight tonight. So wet and windy along the northern half should start to ease off by the afternoon tomorrow. Most areas for the central interior will track that chance for some showers. Southern half, it is a dry start with an increase in cloud cover. Whistler could see a chance for some showers as early as the afternoon and the northern and central half of the island will be seeing rain, heavy at times and very windy conditions. Now Metro Vancouver will see that blip for a Saturday night leading in towards Sunday morning drier as we get in towards the evening hours on sunday but some cloud cover and a touch cooler for our long-range forecast tonight's weather window a great shot beautiful fall reflection on maiden lake so thank you so much hayden for sitting in that one guys beautiful i, I want to go to there <laughs> thanks yvonne it's in first beautiful okay a momentous day for the Canadian military as its newest ship arrived in North Vancouver. HMCS Harry DeWolf will be critical to maintaining Canadian sovereignty in the Arctic. And as Paul Johnson shows us, it began its deployment by doing something no Canadian warship has done in more than 60 years. On the North Shore waterfront Friday morning, a futuristic ship this harbour has never seen before came gliding through the smooth waters of Burrard Inlet. A lone woman waited on the pier for her son, who's been on an historic voyage. He's very proud to serve the, in, the, in the Navy for Canada. As the senior officers disembarked, this marked the first time in more than 60 years that the Canadian Navy has transited the northwest passage of the Arctic Ocean, enabled by the unique capabilities of the HMCS Harry DeWolf, the first of six new Arctic and offshore patrol ships. So this ship is a Polar Class 5, um, meaning that the ship is really classified as an icebreaker, but we're not an icebreaking business. Commander Corey Gleason was at the helm for the ship's first spin through Canada's northern ocean. 
testing its reinforced hull by smashing into ice instead of avoiding it. They visited remote Inuit communities and logged some of the remarkable experiences that only happen under the midnight sun. As, uh, as I parked the ship in an ice floe, it was probably about uh, 1 o'clock in the morning, uh, we had our, our, our searchlights on because that's how you navigate up north. Um, a polar bear and two cubs came to visit us and they stayed with us. And for me, uh, that was our welcome to the Arctic. Capable of carrying a chopper and equipped with a landing boat, this new class of ship will help Canada uphold its sovereignty in a part of the world other countries are already interested in as sea ice retreats with a changing climate. One of the ships will soon be stationed permanently in Esquimalt. But all that naval strategy aside, few things are more memorable than sailors reuniting with loved ones. In North Van, Paul Johnson, Global News. Oh, that's a good hug. It sure is. All, All right, right uh, Squire joins us now. Big game tonight for the BC Lions. Yeah, it's a big weekend at BC Place. Lions tonight, Whitecaps tomorrow. The uh, Lions defense intercepts a lot of passes, and they also love celebrating those interceptions. You got it. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, that's a little something. Yes, Jalen Edwards-Cooper has helped the Leos to 11 interceptions already this season. Also tonight, satellite debris coming right at you. I'm missing well, something. Well, there's a little bit of this going on and I somewhere. Had to, and I was like, what does that <laughs> what mean? What does that even mean? Now I get it. You're oh. obviously not a gangster. Oh, you could have also <laughs> done this. That's kind of yeah, old that's school. I get that. That's old school. Use some of that. Uh, okay, well, let's start with the Canucks news, and it concerns money. Uh, Quinn Hughes, as we have found out, is now the highest-paid player on the team. Six-year deal worth $7.85 million a year. Elias Pettersson, as we told you yesterday, took a three-year deal worth $7.35 million a year. Remember, um, he's playing the long game with a short contract. Have three great years, and then really cash in if he... Hasn't already cashed in. Uh, also, Travis Hamanick is not going to opt out of this season. The Canucks still say he is dealing with a personal matter. He'll be here when it's over. They won't say what that issue is. Now, the Canucks tonight are in Calgary. There's Thatcher Demko. Other end is Jacob Markstrom. Let's see how Markstrom does against Jonah Gadjevich. Hoaglander with the pass. Markstrom swallows it up. Only one goal in the first period. Johnny Gaudreau misses the net. Then gets a return pass. This is actually a nice play from Elias Lindholm. And after one, Gaudreau's goal is all they have scored. one nothing Calgary. If the BC Lions want to beat Winnipeg tonight at BC Place Stadium, their defense has to be as good as it's been all year. This is two of the best teams in the CFL. They both have great offenses. They both have great defenses. And what makes their defenses so good is they can shoot down your air game. The Bombers are second in interceptions with 10. The Lions lead the league with 11. Three-man rush. Fajardo's going to send one deep down the field. And that is picked off. As Cool and the gang urged us in the 80s. And that's the motto of this Lions defensive secondary. Turn every interception into a celebration. And that means dancing. We want the guys to express themselves, you know, and 
be able to, you know, shake the, shake the nervousness out, you know what I mean? And also celebrate the good times and have a lot of fun while they're out here. We always have fun, you know what I'm saying? Without, without fun, the game is nothing. So you got to have fun and enjoy it all the time. Right here. The leader of the fun bunch is defensive backs coach Ryan Phillips, who knows a thing or two about interceptions. His 47 career picks are second all time in Lions franchise history. His playing days are behind him, but those dance moves, they last forever. You know, these younger guys, they think they got all the moves and stuff, but I always tell them, like, anything they can do, I can do a little bit better, so it's all good. So, you know, definitely we're having fun with it, but we're having fun on the field, and it's showing up on the scoreboard. It's also showing up in the results as far as making plays, and I expect us to make many more plays throughout the course of the season. The Lions lead the CFL with 11 interceptions, and they want more, which means hard work, practicing ball hawking, and dancing. Wait, this is my, uh, you got to, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, like that. Yeah, that's a little something, you know what I'm saying? Everybody wants to be that next guy, and that's the kind of hunger you want across the board. It's easier to coach that way. It's easier to scheme things. It's easier to make uh, certain play calls. So as long as we keep that type of uh, tenacity and hunger, I think the sky's the limit for this group. Former Whitecap Alfonso Davies, along with two current Whitecaps, were named to Canada's roster for the next three games of men's World Cup qualifying. They'll take on Mexico, Jamaica, and Panama. Lucas Cavallini, who still has some knee problems, he didn't practice much this week, he's on the team, as well as goalkeeper Max Crapo, who is the main reason the Whitecaps are still in the MLS playoff race. It would be nice if Vancouver could help him out with some goals, take the pressure off of Crapo. Tomorrow, Vancouver plays San Jose at 7 o'clock at BC Place. But the coach says those goals are going to happen soon. Uh, I'm not, uh, I would be much more, uh, I would say, worried if we didn't have the chances. So I know that uh, the most difficult part is creating the chances. So uh, if we have it, we're going we're gonna to score goals. So I'm not, I'm not that worried on that side. All right, Jays, Orioles, final weekend of Major League Baseball. Toronto is one game out of a wild card spot. They're behind Boston and Seattle, and then ahead of them is the Yankees. They're playing Baltimore in the final series. That's good. Baltimore's not that great a team. Uh, Danny Jansen with a two-run homer to left. That gave the uh, Blue Jays a 2-0 lead in the third. And in the sixth, Corey Dickerson hits a solo home run. 3-0 Jays. Let's check the score now and see if Toronto is holding that lead. It's getting closer, but they're still up by 2-6-4 over the Orioles. There you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. All right, we'll be back. And it won't be last week's satellite debris. That's next. It'll be tonight's. There'll be a quick update on our top story because it was so unsettling, the police incident that caused the evacuation of Metro Town Mall. Yeah, I got an update from Burnaby RCMP who now believe the incident was unfounded. And multiple sources have told Global News now that a teenager called in the threat. The mall will remain closed tonight. Expo Line Metro Town Station and Metrotown Bus Loop are now back open, but riders are being told to expect delays as service returns to normal. A lot of people back there to pick up their cars, I'm betting. Okay, let's go with satellite debris, Squire. Okay, the new James Bond movie is finally out, and DHL has a commercial with James Bond's car in it.
This is another uh, GoPro uh, thing, and uh, this is crazy and incredible at the same time. Watch this. Right now, he's going, that's harder to see than I thought. Oh, there he goes. There's his glider. That's the line. Yeah, Dicko! Here he comes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. God! I don't know what the guy sitting there, his job was. Yeah. Anyway, good thing he's okay too. Okay, this is an oldie but a goodie. Um, a cat wanting to be a dog. Here we go. Used to be a cat. Every day the same. I'd be aloof to lunch. Then coldly indifferent after. To me, everything was just meh. Then it hit me. Why be so cat? Why not be a bit more dog? I mean, look at the world today. It's amazing. Running, amazing. Chasing cars, amazing. Sticks, amazing. Carpe diem. It means grab the frisbee. Maybe we should all be a bit more dog. Be more dog. Start now at be more dog.com. What was the trick to that, So A lot of catnip, yeah. <laughs> I think you're right. Okay, last word, Yvonne, before we go. Uh, showers Saturday night into Sunday morning and a fair bit of cloud cover over the weekend. Thank you, and have a great weekend, everybody. Have a good night, all.